You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius audio podcast. I'm, I'm still walking around with my coffee. Don't tell Pastor Farrell. How many coffee drinkers are in the house? How many are not? That's okay. I was where you were a few years ago. I didn't drink coffee all my life. I really haven't. Um, I, uh, so let me ask you this before I get into this. How many of you like our coffee here? Yes? How many of you don't? A few. At least this service, we have a few honest people. No one would raise their hand in the last service. Like, it's okay. I, I get it. So I've, I've not always known everything about coffee or done a lot with coffee. I will tell you my story. So um, we're coming on five years ago now, but um, about a little over four years ago, on my 24th wedding anniversary... Um, my wife and I went out to dinner. So let me give you the backstory. For 24 years, pretty much every day, every other day, my wife has been saying to me, Honey, would you like some coffee? And because I hate coffee, I would say, No, thank you, dear. And that was her little game with me every morning, every other morning. And so on our 24th wedding anniversary, we're sitting at a restaurant and we order dessert. I know what's coming. She orders coffee. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to blow her mind. (laughs) So coffee comes. Before she can reach to get it, I reach across the table, grab her coffee, and take a sip and set it back down. And she looks at me. She goes, you didn't drink that. I said, no, I did. I did. She goes, no, you didn't. I said, I did. I did. I reached back across, and I slurped it this time so she could hear it go in. You know? And she goes, how was it? I go, it was horrible. I just didn't like coffee. I've grown up around it. So this is no exaggeration. I am being honest. My mom goes to the East Lincoln campus. My sister goes to this campus at an earlier service. You can ask them. My dad was a six pots a day man. And then he would go to sleep and sleep like a baby. That man had a weird system. I'm just telling you. But I grew up around it, loved the smell of it, but never acquired the taste for it, never liked the taste of it. And I, I didn't want to acquire it, and I, you know, I, I just let her play her game, you know. But I'm sitting there at, at this, after this inter, interchange, and I think to myself, you know what? For our 25th wedding anniversary, I'm going to acquire the taste. So I had three coffee shops right around here, all my meetings. Some of you were at those meetings. You just didn't know what was going on. But I had three coffee shops, and they were helping me learn to acquire the taste of coffee. They were in on it. So for a whole year, I started with about this much coffee and about this much cream. And then I went the other direction to where now I can drink it black. I like a little cream, but I can drink it black. How many black drinkers we have in the house? Yeah. So on my 25th wedding anniversary, I, she says... I like some coffee. And I said, well, we'd like to have two of those. And she looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> and so I, uh, when the coffee came, I just took it and drank it black. I mean, I wanted to like show her some chest hairs and everything, but I didn't. <laughs> but I just drank it black, right? And she's looking at me like, who, who, who am I with? You know, she wasn't sure if she had her husband on the 25th anniversary or where, where we were at. You know, she was just like all perplexed. And I told her, I said, honey, I, I knew it was an acquired taste and I couldn't fake it. You would know. And so I've been working for a year to acquire the taste so I could enjoy this cup of coffee with you on our 25th wedding anniversary. Yeah, aren't I sweet? <laughs> so anyway... 
Um, I learned a lot about coffee along the way. Stuff maybe you didn't know. Did you know? I thought coffee was a bean. It's not a bean. It's a cherry. Did you know it's a cherry? Coffee grows on a cherry tree. In the little red cherries, when they, they get to their peak of their performance, like Von Valdez, at the peak of performance, we, we pick them. At the peak, they, they pick these cherries, and inside the cherries are two beans in every cherry. And that's the coffee beans that you and I roast and make coffee with. Now, what you also might know is coffee has no taste. The bean has no taste. I've sucked on raw coffee beans. It has no taste. It's like sucking on wood. There's nothing, right? But what happens is, is when you roast it, it pulls all of these flavors. The heat, the, the, all of that stirs, creates something in the bean. And there's, there's a difference. 13 minutes for a really light roast, 17 minutes for extremely dark roast. Over that, you just scorch it. And so that's, that's why they do it. I learned a lot in the process of all of this. I still don't know much about coffee, though. I can tell you when it's really bad, like a one or a two, and I can tell you when it's a nine or a ten. But if it's a three to an eight, I have no clue. My palate has no differentiation. You could think it's an eight, and it could really be a three. I, I just don't know. I, I don't have that differentiation in all of it, but I do know when it's really, really good. How many of you have ever heard of the best coffee in the world? It's called Kopi Luwak. Anybody heard of Kopi Luwak coffee? It's made in Indonesia. It sells for 200 to 800 dollars per pound, depending on where you buy it in the world. This is this is a package of it. Some of you are saying, "Well, how much did that cost?" Well, I'm just going to tell you, don't mess with my coffee. I'm saving this for my 30th anniversary. This is an investment right here. But it's the smoothest coffee known to man. The world over knows it, knows that this is. And that's why they pay so much for it all around the world is because of the, the, the smoothness of the coffee. But it's interesting how they get it. So in Indonesia, there's, there's um, competition for the coffee cherries, not with people, with animals. There is an animal called a civet. Sometimes they call it a civet cat. It's not really a cat. Do you have a picture? There it is. In front of a bunch of cherries, coffee cherries. That's a coffee cherry if you didn't know. So the civet cat likes to eat the cherries at the peak of performance too. And the problem is, is that then they don't have, you know, that messes with your crop. Well, the Indonesians figured something out. Somewhere along the way, they figured out they still needed some coffee. And so what they found out is that when the civet digests the cherry, the beans pass right on through. <laughs> Just right on through. Well, hello, look at that. So what they do is they go throughout the forest and they find little civet droppings and they get the beans out and they wash them and then they roast them and they send them off to you and I. Hey, by the way, did you like that coffee this morning at Connections Cafe? No, that's not civet coffee. We are way too cheap for that, people. Um, but really, it's the most expensive coffee, but it's a disgusting process. I know. It really, really is. You know, to collect it, to wash the fecal matter off the beans and all of that kind of stuff to realize where it went. But here's the crazy thing is, even though it's a disgusting process, there's something that happens as that bean passes through the civet that doesn't happen anywhere else. Because it still has to be roasted. They can roast a... A cherry, a coffee bean off of the same plant versus the one that the cat ate, 
and pass through and they will come up different. There is something that happens inside the civet. In that nasty, difficult, hard, disgusting place, something really nice comes out of it to where it's the smoothest coffee known to man. The crazy thing is that this is true of us in life too. We put this in your notes. It's the undesirable processes of our lives that can bring about the priceless product of a transformed life. Listen, before I came to Grace 19 years ago, for the first two years at Grace, we were just part of the congregation. I sat in a pew every Sunday morning just like you. My wife played the bass guitar and we worshipped at Grace. Didn't know I would be on staff at Grace one day. Wasn't even in my wildest dreams. But when we came, we came from a different denomination. I had been a pastor there. And we came here wounded. Really wounded. Sometimes it's hard even to talk about. Because I know other people who go through it too. And it's a difficult, difficult process. But I learned something. I learned that in the process of that, God changed something in this being. God changed something and transformed something in the difficulty of that time period for my life, for my wife and for I, both of us. We learned things about God. We experienced things that transformed us. Today, I know what it means to extend forgiveness in a way. I'm not talking like, look, I grew up with four sisters. I know what it is to give forgiveness. But I'm telling you, the level of forgiveness that I had to give, but I learned something about myself and I learned something about the nature of what Christ did for me, the forgiveness of what He forgave me. There's a process that changed me. I have a compassion level for young leaders that's, that are going through difficult places. I have a, an understanding of what it means to be in a hard place and not have anybody to talk to. I understand some things. I'm telling you, I was a great guy before that. I was a pastor, a loving God. There are people in this congregation who knew me back then, and they would say I was an awesome guy. I didn't didn't even pay them to say it. But they would say that I'm different today, and I would tell you that I'm transformed today because of what I went through. I don't ever want to go through it again. I don't want people I know to go through it. But I will tell you this. I don't ever want to go back to being who I was. God transformed some really deep things to make me the man of God that I am today. To make me to be able to pastor in the way that I do today. God had to transform me. And it was only in that difficult place would that have been possible. But I'm going to tell you, in the midst of it, I was surrounded by a lot of fecal matter of life. I was. It was tough. It was ugly. But I'm thankful for it today. I don't ever want to go back, but I'm thankful. Pastor Rick Warren says this, God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not necessarily comfort, but character. Character development. And He wants you to grow spiritually to become like Christ. This morning I'm going to ask if you would turn in your, your Bibles or whatever you use to, to look at the text. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Uh, we won't be there long, but I want to read some verses to you as a text this morning as we talk about the good and the bad today. 1 Peter chapter, six, chapter 1 verse 6 says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, say faith, faith. which is worth more than gold and is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an expressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want to go back to verse 7 and read part of it again. It says this, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Listen, at times you and I are consumed with lots of other things, consumed with growing our bank account, growing our retirement, uh, trying to figure out what our, where our career is going, what we're going to do, how we're going to pay for kids' college. I have two in college right now. Dear Lord, what in the world was I thinking when we had those close together? <laughs> but God isn't concerned with all that. God's concerned with your faith and growing your faith because it's in your faith that's what has eternal value. Your faith is what He rewards. And your faith is what will determine the quality of your life. Not just in heaven, but now, today, in this life. It's our faith. Every problem, this is in your notes, every problem we face is a character-building, Christ-forming opportunity. And the more difficult it is, the greater the potential for building spiritual muscle and moral fiber. God is so committed to our spiritual development that he will either allow or create opportunities for it to happen. I'm not telling you that God does things to us. That's not theologically correct. My Bible doesn't say that and neither does yours. And don't let anybody ever tell you that. But I will tell you this, that God does allow things to come our way. And Bible is, the Bible is full of examples where God allows things, but in the process, because he has a bigger picture. See, God's more interested in the end result than he is right now. He's more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. You've heard that said many times, and it's true. So this morning, I want to talk to you about growing through adversity. Not going through adversity, growing through adversity. First thing this morning is, is ask what, not why. Ask what, not why. I mentioned the, the experience that Susan and I had prior to coming to Grace Covenant. And I will tell you, when my former church leader was going off the deep end, I was focused on why. I wasn't focused on what. I kept saying, God, why are you letting this happen? God, why are we going through this? God, why is this happening to us? God, why? Have, wh- why? I just kept saying why. And I'm just going to tell you, there is rarely a good answer to the why. And if we're not careful... We'll get lost in the why, and we'll miss the what. It's a really well-known verse is Romans eight twenty-eight. But in the context of what, let me read it to you. And we know that in all things, God works for the purpose. God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What questions? We have to ask what questions, not why questions. What questions look like, what do you want me to discover through this, Lord? Lord, what do you want me to learn in the midst of this? Lord, what area of my life are you allowing me to grow through this? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If we focus on the why, we will stay right here. 
But if we will focus on the what, we move to someplace else. See, why is all about, I just want, I want to stay where I'm at and I want everything to change around me. Does that make sense? But when we ask what, it's a moving question. What do you, what, what's this about? What's the end result? What's the future look like? Where are we going? It's that kind of question. It's forward thinking, not positionally thinking. You're not stuck. Why questions keep you stuck? What questions move you forward? What are you going to reveal in me through this, Lord? What do you want me to do with this? Going back to Romans 8, 28, God what is your good work you talk about? What is this good purpose you state? What is that, Lord? What is this all about? Those are the things that move us forward. And I know it's difficult to go from asking why to what. I totally get it. That brings me to the second point, which is we have to embrace the adversity rather than curse it. Embrace the adversity rather than curse it. Can I admit to you that for over a year, and the example that I gave about what we walked through, for over a year, I did not embrace the adversity. I cursed the adversity. Pretty much every morning, I was having a, what, do you, what would you call it? I was complaining to God. I was throwing a tantrum. That's what I was doing. I was throwing a tantrum to the Lord. Why, God? Why have you let this happen? At one point, it got so bad that I, re- I remember saying to the Lord, if this is the way it's going to be, then I want you to remove this calling of ministry off my life because I'm miserable and I'm not doing you any good. How many of you know the difference between when you're your kids are whining and they are just really hurting. Listen, I'm so thankful that the Lord does too. If he'd have answered that prayer, I'd have missed out on the last 17 years here at Grace. I'd have missed out on what, all that God has done in this place. And it's been amazing to watch and to participate in. But I'm telling you, I know what it is to curse the adversity rather than to lean into it rather than to embrace it today when challenges come our way we can grumble and we can complain or we can choose to live on the positive side if you curse the adversity you're either going to you're going to get stuck in the adversity or you're going to miss the benefit of the hard place yes the benefit of the hard place James chapter 1 verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because, and verse 3 goes on to say this, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Listen, I had to learn what that meant. That isn't the consider it all joy, let's do the golf clap, God's at work. I'm, I'm in adversity, thank you Lord, this is, this is going to be awesome Lord, I'm sure it will be. No, this is the call a promoter and book Kulin the gang to your party and let's play celebration the whole time they're there and let's dance in the midst of it. That's what that is. Consider it pure joy. Why? Because God's working. He's working to transform us if we embrace it. But if we curse it, if we just look at it that way, we, are, we stay stuck. For me... 
Every day I was like a pendulum swinging, if I'm really honest. I would have this tantrum before the Lord, but somewhere at the end I would come back and I would say, Lord, I trust you. Now, first, early on, it was like, Lord, I trust you. Then over time, it became, Lord, I trust you. Then over more time, it became, Lord, I trust you. It it began to sink in. What I began to say began to sink in. And I had to hold to a verse. I held to Proverbs 2 and 7. It says, He holds victory in store for the righteous, and He will be a shield to those who walk in integrity. And I had to hold to that and say, Lord, I trust You in the midst of that. You are the one who's going to protect me. You're the one who's guarding over my reputation, over my name, over my future, over what my job is going to be. You're the one who's guarding over my family and all of this. I had to trust Him. But I'm telling you, you have to come to this place where you don't curse the adversity. You embrace it to be able to do that. And I understand personally, firsthand, that's a process, but it is a choice. It is a choice that we make to do. Which brings me to the third point today. If we want to grow through adversity, we have to worship rather than whine. Worship through adversity, don't whine through it. That's our last point. There's a difference in legitimately communicating a problem, a challenge, an adversity. And we all need someone in our lives who we can come alongside, we can be honest with, we can express our heart, our hurts, our wounds, all of those things. That's, that's legitimate. It's the thing that hopefully someone will come alongside us, encourage us and pray with us and all those kind of things. But there is a difference between expressing it for that purpose and whining. Whining is that thing that says, I just want to say it over and over and over and over and over again. I just want somebody to hear it and I want them to know how bad I feel. It's not about moving forward. It's just about inviting people to your pity party. That's what whining is. And we have to not stay there. We have to move to a place where we worship. I will tell you this. As I have looked at um, changing my focus from, from this pity party mentality to worship, God changes things in me. God transforms me. The complaint magnifies the problem while worship magnifies God in the midst of the problem. And we have to choose what we're going to do. We have to choose to worship so that it will change our focus, so that our changed focus will change our attitude, and so that our changed attitude will open up the way for God's presence and His power to move in our circumstances. When I focus on my problem, it never goes away. You know why? Because I'm always looking at it. I'm making sure it's still there. I'm focused on the problem. Look, it's right there. It was there yesterday. It's never going away. There it is. I just focus on it. But here's the deal. When I focus and begin to worship the Lord, and I see how amazing He is, and I'm reminded of all that He's done in my life, and I'm reminded of how good and gracious He's been and the miracles He's worked in my life, the way that He's healed me, the way that He's worked in my family, and when I start worshiping like that, the crazy thing is, is my problems don't have a chance. Because they look so small when I look back at them. Right? But if I focus on the problem... I really get focused on that and it's almost like it zooms in and it gets really big. But when I focus on Him and look back, it's like, oh, you're still here? Right? Because we have to change. We have to get to a place where we worship 
rather than wine. You know, last week on all three campuses, one of our verses was um, James 4, 6. It says this, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I'm going to tell you what, when we're facing adversity, we need God's favor. So we have to humble ourselves. We have to posture ourselves in humility. We have to find a place of worship. We have to let all of those things begin to change for us. And when we do, then he holds victory in store for us as righteous. I'm convinced of that. I've lived it. Today, I choose to worship rather than to whine. I want to read uh, one last verse for you that um, we have. And it's Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says this, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now I'm going to read this to you again. How many of you, you know what the NIV, the KJV, and the ESV This morning, you're going to be introduced to the PGV, the Paul Glenn version. So far, I've only translated these two verses. It's a slow process, I'm telling you. (laughs) Even though the one thing I could always count on stopped working, and what I've been working on meticulously hasn't produced yet, And even though I don't have anything to cook up something new with, and all my resources are exhausted, even though my annuities are missing and my cash cow is gone, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. This is where we must live. We must worship rather than whine, regardless of what the circumstances are. This morning, I want to encourage you today. I want you to to uh, be encouraged to ask what type questions rather than why type questions. I want you to be encouraged to embrace the adversity rather than cursing it. And I want to ask you and encourage you to worship rather than whine. The last thing we put in your notes this morning is this. Pastor Rick Warren says this, Regardless of the cause, none of your problems could happen without God's permission. Everything that happens to a child of God is father-filtered. How many children of God do we have in here this morning? And he intends to use it for good, even when Satan and others mean it for bad. I want to go back and read the last portion of that. Everything that happens to a child of God is father-filtered. Get that. And he intends it to use it for good. This morning... I don't know what people are going through, but I would tell you this, that regardless of your many types of adversity, James says, count it all joy. Don't whine over it. Count it joy. Throw a party. Listen, I know somebody who had a hard time one time, and they literally went out and threw a party in the midst of their problem. And I was like, why are you doing this? They said, because I'm doing what James chapter 1 says, I'm throwing a party. Throw a party if you have to. But consider it all joy when you go through that. And when we do, I'm telling you, it says because the testing of, our, um, of your faith produces perseverance. And we know that God holds victory in store 
for us as, who are righteous. And the great thing is, is that when that happens, our proven faith results in praise and glory and honor to Christ Jesus when he's revealed in us. This morning, would you bow your heads with me? morning I know that in a room this size with this many people the probability is extremely high and I think you're just like the last two services I think there's a more than one if like the last two services there's a lot of people here that you're going through something really tough life for you is not much like a cherry it feels like more like you're passing through a civet cat. And when you look around, it seems like everything around you is surrounded by fecal matter in life. But I'm here to tell you that God is transforming you in this process. And that if you will embrace Him, worship in the midst of it, He wants to do something. I want to pray with you if that's you this morning. But I need to know who I'm praying for. So I'm just going to ask you really quickly and really simply, if that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? Wow. Wow. Thank you. You can put those down. Just so you know, there's people all around you. I want to pray for you. This, pray with me this morning. Father, I thank you for, Lord, these, your people. God, they're in a perfect place because they're in the place where you're transforming and doing major overhauls of who they are. Lord, I pray that you would work in their lives. God, I pray that you would work in their circumstances. Lord, as much as I want you to just release them from their circumstances, God, I want to ask that you would complete the transformation as well in their lives. God, I pray that you would open their eyes so that they can lean in and worship you in the midst of it. And God, that you can complete that process. God, I don't know what they're going through, but God, I pray that you would walk with them in the midst of it, that they would know your abiding presence. Lord, that even today, or even today it would be as if you're sitting right beside them right now. To so tell them it's going to be okay. Lord, there is good and the bad. But we have to give ourselves to it. And Lord, we yield ourselves to you and to your process because we trust you. Lord, today I pray for each of these again who've raised their hands. God, work in their circumstances. God, transform their lives. God, I pray that the end result of their lives will bring glory and honor when Christ is revealed. Lord, today we pray this over them in Christ's name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.